This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. Well, hello, everybody, and uh, we are um, back on our Wednesday Bible study. Currently, we're going through various psalms, certain psalms that, um, I don't know, I feel led to teach on. Some of them I really enjoy a lot, and, you know, there's 150 of them, so we can't do all 150. That's over three, that's three years worth of teaching right there. Um, But today we're going to look at Psalm uh, chapter 32. We're going to specifically talk about something that, well, I need and you need, and Jesus came to relieve us of this, and that is guilt relief. Now, I read somewhere, someplace, that unresolved guilt in a person is like a snooze alarm that just keeps going off. You know what the snooze alarm is, right? It goes off and you tap the button to give you 10 more minutes or however you set it for five more minutes, and it goes off again, and it goes off again. You tap it, it goes off again. It just never goes off until you finally do something to stop that thing completely, like take a hammer to it. No. But, you know, you're going to turn it off completely instead of snoozing it. Well, that's what unresolved guilt is like. The problem with that is this, that if you think about it, it's always interrupting your rest. It's interrupting your peace. Well, unresolved guilt is like that. Because unresolved guilt, um, it, it affects your ability to concentrate because it's always gnawing in the back of your mind. Your productivity, your creativity, they drop also. You know, unresolved guilt, what it can even do is you can resort to, if it's heavy enough, it can resort to self-punishment. You can even start to sabotage your life, make decisions, almost like you're you're penalizing yourself. So, and then taken to the fullest extreme, if if you don't resolve this, well, like that snooze alarm always going off, your emotions are always running. Because your mind is always analyzing that unresolved guilt, and then you have thrown into the mix, a literal devil and demons and all the ugly thoughts that are thrown into our minds and pretty soon our emotions are always revving at a high rate because the snooze alarm's never going off and what happens at that point whether it takes months or years is your emotional gas tank is empty and once it's empty then you slide into a depression because of unresolved guilt so yeah i think we all need guilt relief So we're going to study Psalm 32 because Psalm 32 is going to give us the insight in the inside of a guy by the name of David's life, King David. And Psalm 32 is telling us the result of when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then what he does after that. And he keeps silent about it for one year. He's carrying that guilt around for one year. So before I get into Psalm 32, which is the inside of him, I want to give you the outside of what happened to lead him to walking in such tremendous guilt. And that's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 through 5. I'm going to read verse 1 through 5, then I'm going to comment after I've read it, okay, to sh- so you get a full understanding. I know a lot of you Christians know the story, but for the sake of those who are new to the faith, it's the first time through the story, let me do that. 2 Samuel 11.1 1 says, Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And this, they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David 
stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and acquired, inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, um, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So they're saying she's a married woman. David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Okay, now, <clears throat> let me tell you what's going on here. This whole tragedy begins because a man by the name of David, who is the king, and his house sits as the highest, the palace sits higher than every other house because Jerusalem is built on, on, a, on a mountain, on a hill. He doesn't, he's in the wrong place. He's not at his normal station of life. It says he should have been leading the nation in battle against other nations at this time. Because springtime, when everything dries up, now they can go and fight off whoever they need to fight off. He doesn't go. He sends everybody and he stays home. So now we find a person's lack of involvement in their spiritual disciplines and spiritual duties and what Jesus calls to do. It can lead to a lot of bad things in our life. Because Paul says later on in the New Testament, make the most of your time because the days are evil. Now, I want you to think about this. David is home, and because he's not expending the normal energy that a working man would, well, he can't sleep. And he gets around and he walks around on his rooftop and he's looking down. Now, I have a hunch that he's already spied this out other nights when he's seen her bathing. So he gets up thinking, maybe she's up there. Maybe she's, because he can look down and see on rooftops. And he sees her bathing on, the, on her own rooftop. He knows she's good looking. To him, she's a beautiful woman. So he says, I'm going to send for her, even though he knows now this is a married woman. Well, he has sex with her. And then she goes back. And then he gets the word, the word that he doesn't want to hear. She goes, I am pregnant. And the first thing I think about when I read that is, what a mess. What a mess that he's now created for himself. And so now, what's he going to do? He's going to cover up his mess humanly, at least attempt to, which is a wrong move, but he's going to try it. And so what he does is he brings her husband Uriah back from the front in a hopes that he'll go and sleep with his own wife, and thus he'll think it's his child. But Uriah won't go home and sleep with his wife because he says, no, not if all my comrades are up at the front line fighting, why would I enjoy pleasure? He sleeps at the, ca at the, <laughs> at the palace. And then David even tries to get him drunk that he'll do that. It doesn't work either. So David's at his wit's end. So what he does is he sends the husband back to the front line with this concealed note, sealed, give it to the general Joab. Joab reads the note. It's from David. It says, send Uriah to the fiercest battle to the front line, then have everybody pull back. He needs to die. And that's what happens. David has him killed. So David is an adulterer. David is a conspirator. And David is a murderer now. This is the king. This is the man who's written so many beautiful songs for God. And so now what happens is the guilt begins in David's life. 
and it's a lot of guilt. <clears throat> and now I want to go to Psalm 32 because now we're going to go into the background of David's guilt because we need to find guilt relief in our life because everybody needs guilt relief in their life. <clears throat> now, uh, let me just be honest with you on guilt relief and guilt. Society tries to tell us that, uh, and this is the cultural thinking in some places, now, is that you know, you, you, they, they lower the standard of morality in order to eliminate the possibility that something could be wrong and thus eliminate the guilt. That's impossible. Because there's a certain narrative that God has put in the heart of mankind and womankind that you know certain things are wrong. Even though they lower and lower and lower the standards, you can't eliminate guilt that way. But they try to, but it's an impossibility. It doesn't work. Because only God is the one who can eliminate guilt. Only what Jesus has done. So. We're going to look at Psalm 32, and I'm going to read, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this backwards. I'm not going to read it from verse 1 on. I'm going to start at verse 3 and verse 4, because I want to show you a, a few things that he does in the cover-up and in in trying to pretend it's not there anymore. Now, verse 3 and 4, this is, um, we're going to look at his pain. This is what he's carrying on the inside. It says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality <clears throat> was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Then it says, Selah. Selah is the idea of, you need to stop and think about what he just said. I mean, stop and meditate on it. Don't move that quick. Think about what this man has just stated about in those verses. So, <clears throat> David now has attempted to keep his sin silent for one year. That's a long time to carry guilt, isn't it? Watch this. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. Watch this. I'm going to show you another little story about a guilt carrier. This is a story about Joseph and Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers don't like him. They're jealous of him. He's dad's favorite. And... Um, they, uh, they basically sell him um, into slavery into Egypt. Now watch, after they've sold him into slavery into Egypt, watch the whole cover-up. In um, <clears throat> verse 29 to 34, it says, Now Reuben, who is the oldest of the twelve brothers, so he's, a super, he's got to be responsible. He's the oldest. That's the way it's structured in the Jewish home. Returned to the pit, because they had Joseph in a pit, then they took him out of that pit and sold him. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. His brother's gone. Little brother's gone. He's, Joseph is number 11 out of 12 sons. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? In other words, what am I going to do now? How can I go home and face dad? What am I going to do? Here's what they do. So they took Joseph's tunic. This is the coat that dad gave him that they were most all jealous of, and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. So they killed an animal, put the blood on the coat. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, We found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Notice they say your son's. They don't even call him a brother. That's how much they don't like Joseph. Then he examined it and said, It is my son's tunic. Dad knows that coat. And then dad says, a wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. 
So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. <clears throat> I want you to think about this. Reuben, he goes with the cover-up. They're a distance from home. So once they decide on the cover-up, they have to travel home. So for days and days, if not weeks, he's traveling. And he's thinking about what happened. Can you imagine the guilt he's carrying? And then he goes and he lies to his father about how Joseph met his end. Joseph has been sold off into Egypt into slavery. And so the cover-up begins. Can I tell you something? This cover-up will go on for 20 years, minimally. Reuben is carrying guilt, unconfessed guilt, for 20 years. That's a long ride, a 20-year ride. David, and this is why I showed you this, David is going to carry unresolved guilt just for one year. And just in one year, David is describing the utter hell back to Psalm 32, that David is walking in, that he's feeling on the inside. Reuben's a 20-year ride. David's a one-year ride of unresolved guilt now. So I'm going to show you some things now. The first thing we find in David in Psalm 32 is David's body is wasting away. <clears throat> now, wasting away means to wear out. It literally means to become old. His body is breaking down because of unresolved guilt. Do you know that's a true thing? Psych psychologically, physically, it's a true thing. So first off, we see how unresolved guilt affects us physically. Then we find that David carries, number, second thing is, third thing is David carries emotional pain. He says, I'm groaning all day long. You know what the word groaning means? When he says that, it means the cry of a wretched person in grief. So now we find that it's affecting him interiorly, emotionally. He's feeling it. So he's breaking down physically. He's falling apart emotionally. The, 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 um, the, the pause button on the, on the alarm is not going. It's always coming back, the snooze button, I should say. So he's feeling on the inside. And then the next thing we see is David experiences a consistent heaviness that drains his vitality. Because what he says here in verse he says, my vitality was drained. You know what vitality means when he says that? It means moisture, vigor, or juice. He's drying up spiritually is what he's saying. Now you put that all together and unresolved guilt affects us physically, it affects us emotionally, and it affects us spiritually. That's not a good thing, guys. That's why we need to resolve the guilt in our lives. I got to tell you something. I have, a avocado, I have two avocado trees in my backyard. And um, one of them is really big. Gives a, last year, it gave so many great Haas avocados. I love avocados. I love guacamole, especially with my tacos and stuff. But when that heat wave came through, I think it was Labor Weekend in September, it was so intense that it actually killed a third of that tree. And it caused some of those growing avocados to just dry up, all moisture gone. They just shriveled up dark and they were dead. And that's something. I think that's what guilt does. 
Guilt can take the juice out of our spiritual life. It can destroy the fruit of the Spirit. All the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the endurance. All spiritual, spiritual food. It can dry it all up. And what's the result of it? Walk around cranky, mean, restless. Snooze alarm's always going off. Irritable, heaviness, depression, you name it, it's there. And so the big question is, what's the answer? What, what do I do now? How do I find guilt relief? Well, David's going to tell us where, I find, where we find guilt relief. Now, in verse 5, he begins by saying this. He says, um, <clears throat> I acknowledged my sin to you. You is God. I acknowledge my sin to God. In other words, I'm confessing this thing. And my iniquity, I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Hmm. He acknowledges, he exposes, he confesses, and God forgives the guilt of it. Now, the word guilt there is an important word because that Hebrew word means fault or punishment. God has forgiven him once he confessed it, once he acknowledged it, once he said, God, I'm not going to be quiet about this anymore. I'm going to, I got to get this load off my shoulders. God forgives the fault and the punishment of it. <clears throat> what does that mean? When my sins are washed away, when I come to Christ and I confess my sins, guys, I'm no longer at fault. I don't have to punish myself any longer. I don't, I don't have to do these things. There's just a bit too many of us that are out there punishing ourselves from things that happened last week or last year or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. How much lighter would your life be if you could resolve the guilt? How much better would your outlook be in life if you could take the weight of the guilt off your shoulders and transfer that unto Jesus Christ who can wash it away? I want you now to back up in Psalm 32 and I want you to see the transformation power of the forgiveness of God because it is utterly amazing what David says. <clears throat> Verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 32 says this. How blessed is he or she whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now I want to show you some stuff here because this is huge. This is the transition of the man David when he repents, when he acknowledges, because Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel 12 is going to confront him and gets him to confess his sin. And David's burden of guilt is lifted. First he says, blessed, which means happy. Forgiven people are happy. Remember, we read earlier that he's groaning all day long, emotional pain. Not anymore. Not anymore. It's resolved. It's gone. It's washed away. That's the first thing. He goes, happy. 
He goes from moaning and groaning to happy. The second thing I want you to notice in there is the all-encompassing power of forgiveness. Because David, if you caught it in those verses, verse 1 and 2, he used three different words for his sin. He used transgression, sin, and iniquity. Let me translate what those things mean. First, he says, transgression, transgression is forgiven. The word transgression means rebellion or trespass. In other words, you crossed a boundary. There are moral lines in society or in, in life, no matter what the culture tells us, no matter how they lower the standard, it doesn't matter because there's a moral line in Scripture. We have transgressed. We've all done that, God's law. We've transgressed others. And David says, that's forgiven. It's completely forgiven in my life. It means to be lifted off me. It's carried away. I like that. We'll get into more of that later. Then he talks about his sin. His sin is covered. Sin means just simply to miss the mark. God's mark is this. I'm not doing God says. I missed the mark. I'm going to do what I want to do. Or maybe I don't understand it fully, but I'm not hitting God's mark. And then he used the word iniquity. Iniquity, he says, is not imputed. Now, <laughs> I like that because iniquity means a depraved, which means very wicked, a twisted action, which means we've taken the morality that you and I know is true from the scriptures and we twist it and we bend it and we justify our immorality and we lower these things and and decide that this is what's right, not this. David says, I twisted God's morality. I twisted it to fit me. And thank God I have been forgiven and it's not imputed against me. Now, I want you to, I want to drill down. I want to double down. I want to triple down on this because I want to show you something now. David is writing in a time a thousand years before Christ. So he's not going to get to experience in his lifetime what we know as the blood of Jesus that washes away all of our sin. He is living in a time frame waiting for the Messiah to come where it's the animal blood that they're sacrificing. So with that said, let, let me explain some things. He says the transgression is forgiven. <clears throat> now, Forgiven means to be carried off. If you're taking notes, write this down. Leviticus chapter 16. Write that down. Go back and read it later. Because on the Day of Atonement, they would pick two goats. Goats. <clears throat> One goat is the scapegoat. The scapegoat. And um, that goat, um, they would take that goat and they would confess the sins of everyone on that goat. And then they'd send it off into the wilderness, into the desert. And out there, they'd maybe push it over a cliff and that goat would die. But it was sent away. That's David's understanding of the word forgiven. My sins have been carried away on this goat offering. <clears throat> It's a picture of you and I in our relationship with Jesus Christ, how our sins have been carried away by Jesus. They're on Him, 
They're not on us anymore. That's a good thing. And you should be happy about that, which means since they've been carried off and carried away, you don't have to rehearse them. You don't have to replay them. You don't have to keep the snooze button going to remind you of them. They're carried off. I like that. But then he goes on to say the sin is covered. Oh, covered. Covered is the idea of atoned. There were two goats, I told you, remember? Well, the other goat was killed. They took the blood of that goat. The priest would go in the, inside the holiest of holies, sprinkle the blood on top of the Ark of the Covenant, and that would be a covering for sin for one year. It's the idea that God closes eye. God winked at sin for a year, covered it for a year. David is relating that. He says, my, my sin is covered. It's, it's covered. It's gone for a year. Thank God. But it's not cleansed away forever. We in the New Testament, um, we now know that sin is the covering now because of Jesus' life. It's cleansed away forever. It's not covered. But this is why David is so happy. My sin is sent away and my sin is covered. But that's not even where it ends. He says, uh, uh, the Lord does not impute my iniquity. Oh, what does that mean? It's an accounting term. Okay. God doesn't put my sin into my account anymore. It's been sent away. It's been covered for us, cleansed. Listen to me, Christian. This is where we get so stuck in our life that we think we're not forgiven. But he says, my iniquity is not imputed. We all periodically, with regularity, look in to look at our savings accounts, our checking accounts, retirement accounts. We want to see what's in. How much do we have in there? And, that, and, and that's wise. And we always try to tell you, eliminate as much debt as possible in your life. Don't keep incurring more and more debt in your life. And we always try to tell you, the way a Christian at least should live minimally is the 10-10-80 principle. It's how you manage money. You get paid, 10% goes to the local church. That's what it teaches. But also 10% you should put into retirement, savings, something like that. In other words, you're telling yourself no to a lot of things. You're disciplining yourself. And then 80% you live on. You pay your bills. You have a budget for you know, fun, entertainment. All those things is in that 80%. You live within that discipline, you're going to be in really good shape when you get to your retirement years. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. You don't live in the disciplines? Well, hey, good luck on that one right there. I mean, because you only have one life. Now, David is saying, let's get back to the idea right here. <clears throat> He's saying, my sin account used to be full. And we all want savings and retirement and uh, checking account. We want them full. But David says, my sin account, all those sin accounts of mine were full. But now they're empty. Now, we don't want that as far as our money. We don't want to see empty accounts. But when it comes to sin accounts, we want them drained. We want them emptied out. That's what he's saying here. There's nothing in my account. There's no sin against me anymore. Is that a great thing? It, Christian, if you could understand, that's what the blood of Jesus has done. He's taken everything, and I mean every mistake, every failure. It's 
washed it away. It's washed it away. That's why David's happy. That's why a Christian can walk around happy, joyful, excited. I want to serve God. I want to worship God. Yes, God, thank you for so... You walk around lifted and lightened up. It's just a great, great way to live. And guys, the ultimate finish to what David is saying is this. Look at, in verse 2, he says, at the end of it, in whose spirit there is no deceit. What what does that mean? Well, he says, well, the word deceit, it means not a fraud. When we walk around with unresolved guilt, you know what we feel. We feel like frauds. Especially because we have the conviction of the Spirit of God in us. We feel like we're pretending to be something we're not. None of us is going to get everything right or get it perfect. That's why we need the blood of Jesus to cleanse us. He says, I'm not a fraud anymore. See, when we finally admit, I I ain't got it down. I'm not perfect. And I messed up, and God forgive me of this thing and this thing. And then we make it right with other people that we've messed up with. Ask forgiveness. Yeah. He said, I'm not a fraud. And that's a great thing. Now, That's a transformation statement. That's a going from brokenness to whole. Because now, there's nothing to hide. Now I'm not looking over my shoulder anymore, wondering. Now I no longer think, when are they going to find out about me? When are they going to find out about me? Well, the transformed person is the guilt-free person. And look at the great result. Verse 11, Psalm 32. He says, Be glad, in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Wow. An inward joy of the heart results in an outward joy happy. And that's important. <clears throat> because he started earlier on, he's just groaning, man. <laughs> and now there's this inward joy. You see the transition? You see how it's been lifted off him? See how he's guilt-free? That only Jesus can do that? There's no psychiatrist or counselor can do that. They can lead you to Christ, and they better lead you that way to the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus, but they cannot resolve it for you. Only Jesus can. Now, let me give you a closing illustration. Most of you know I'm a backpacker, and I will backpack the high Sierras every year until I'm old, so old I can't carry a pack or walk or whatever. It gets tougher every year as I get older. I used, to, I used to fly up the mountains. I don't fly up anymore. Well, when you're walking up the mountains, as you know, let's say you start at 8,500 foot elevation walking, and you've got 40, 40 to 45 pounds on your back. That's heavy. And as you, ex- and you climb the mountain, it's thinner air, so that kind of pushes you oxygen-wise. And you, boy, you know, and you feel it. It's like, oh gosh, when am I going to get there? And you see it on everybody's face. This is a bird and this is heavy. But you keep walking and it's heavy and it's heavy. But then something happens. And by the way, you have people say, are we almost there? And I always tell them, don't ask the question. You're, 
Just know that when you get there, you're there. But it's heavy, it's a burden. And then something happens. They get to the where we're supposed to get to. The campsite. Whether it's at 10,000 feet or 11,000 feet, and we've walked, whether four miles or eight miles, whatever it may be, they get there. And the first thing they do when they get there is what? Take that heavy pack off. <laughs> and they're so happy. I'm so happy. I'm there. You see, when you take the weight off, you take the burdens off, the guilt of the things that we've done wrong and washed away by the blood of Jesus, it's all lifted off. And there's rejoicing. And there's a whole new disposition of spirit. And that's what only Jesus can do. You might want to share this with somebody that you know is going through a lot, carrying unresolved guilt. Because just maybe this will help them. And I think if they take Jesus at his word, it will. We hit that camp, take off the pack, and we're rejoicing. Blessed are we because our burden has been taken away. Well, I'm going to stop right there. Hopefully this blessed you. It gave you a good foundation for forgiveness and guilt resolution. See you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.